Welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is an audiobook narrator who just so happens to have a lot of insight into the potential physical problems of sitting in one place reading all day. Melissa K. Benson, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Well, hello, Rich, and thank you so much for having me. This is a little bit of a dream come true for me because <laughs> I have been a fan of the speakeasy for, for quite a while, and um. And now being a guest, I feel really, really special. So thank you for inviting me on. Well, you are very welcome. You are special. I have um, known of you for quite some time, uh, especially because of what we'll be talking a lot more about later, um, your um, your knowledge of the human body and, uh, and how sitting and reading all day might not be the best thing. You got to make sure that you do things to uh, mitigate that. So, uh, so I'm really glad you could make it into the speakeasy being a speakeasy. What are you drinking tonight? Well, I am having a Sazerac. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. And I made it my little self and, <laughs> um, and it is pretty darn good. Yeah. And, what kind, what kind is, of rye? Well, okay. This is why it's pretty darn good to me. I used cognac and not rye. Oh, the original Sazerac. Yes. Yeah. Nice. So, well, um, I have, I live in the New Orleans area and, mm -hmm. um, one time for my birthday, my husband and I took a little staycation in the city and, um, I had never had a Sazerac before, but I, you know, it was on my list. I, I need to try a Sazerac. And so the Roosevelt Hotel has this, the Sazerac bar, which is famous yep. and it's really historic and it's beautiful. And it's art deco um, is such a cool, um, some kind of African wood bar and it's just gorgeous. And it's very dark. Yeah, it is. And you can just imagine all the things that went on in there yep. since the <laughs> way back. And um, apparently Huey P. Long went in there and ordered a, his favorite drink was a Ramos Gin Fizz. Ah. And um, so they make those there. And I was so excited about getting my Sazerac and I tasted it and I just hated it. And yeah. <laughs> but I drank it because it was probably like $20. But um, <laughs> yeah, Com common but, reaction to a Sazerac, though, if you've never had one. Right, right. And, you know, I don't mind that the taste of the absinthe and you know because it's very it's pretty light isn't there's not a whole lot in there you just sort of coat your inside of the glass with it but mm -hmm. but it's that whiskey i'm just not a whiskey or bourbon person mm -hmm. and um so i decided to make it the the original way was made with cognac because mm -hmm. the french um well uh antoine pecho actually created this drink and they say it's it's believed to be the oldest cocktail ever, like believed by some. <laughs> yeah, well, by by us down here. Yeah, but, um, right, exactly. I'm sure everyone has their stories. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I made an original sazerac with. That's cognac. fantastic. I've I've never made one with cognac, which I really should. Although my my problem is, even though I think that the sazerac is great because it's a classic drink. 
I have to say I don't love it because I hate absinthe. And so <laughs> it's one of those things where even just a, a, you know, a glass rinse is enough to just put me off. Um, I may, I, when I make a corpse reviver number two, I never use the absinthe rinse. Um, the, so the only Sazerac that I've had, well, the first Sazerac that I had was at the Roosevelt, the one time that I was in New Orleans. So oh, was, no kidding. Yeah, it was the, the first one I ever had. And I didn't love it. My wife hated it. But I was really glad that I had had one. And I thought, you know, I'm going to work on this a little and see if I can figure out how to how to make one. Uh, it's still not a favorite drink, but it, you've you've given me inspiration now. I think I am going to try one because I actually have some cognac on hand and um, I might just like it more. I might just put like a single drop of absinthe in the glass. <laughs> there you go. Just to, just to make it official. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, and uh, oh, uh, here, I, I do have another little cheat on this one. Absinthe is extremely expensive. And um, I didn't, I used Herb Saint instead yeah, of Absinthe. So similar. I think they taste probably similar, but. Yeah, um, they're similar. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, that's great. That's great. I think that's the first Sazerac uh, that has been served here in the uh, in the speakeasy. So good oh, for you. Oh, nice. What are you drinking? I am having uh, something new to me. I just found this the other day. It's called a Tootsie Roll. And uh, <laughs> when I saw it, I thought, well, I don't know about that. But then I saw the ingredients and I thought, oh, I got to make some of that because I have some of this. It's very similar to a Manhattan. But instead of sweet vermouth, you use Pedro Jimenez sherry. And I love PX the the uh what most people call Pedro Jimenez Sherry is PX and I love it it's it's like a port only better um mm. at least in my opinion uh and then instead of using a couple of dashes of aromatic bitters like Angostura you mm -hmm. use a lot of dashes of chocolate bitters and Ooh. so that doesn't add to the sweetness because the Pedro Jimenez Sherry is really sweet so the, the bitters don't add to the sweetness, but it does add the chocolate flavor. And I love it. I, I think it's great. I'm I'm glad that I just kind of happened upon this. I never would have thought to combine those. Uh, but I'm always looking to to take a classic cocktail like a Manhattan and change it. You know, just instead of using uh, dry vermouth in a martini, use Bianco vermouth. Instead of using um, uh, sweet vermouth in a Manhattan, use uh, Benedictine, you know, some, something else uh, that kind of has a similar effect, but gives you a different, very different flavor profile. So uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the Tootsie Roll at this point. I've only had a couple of sips, but uh, it might be, might be gone by the time we're done. <laughs> it sounds delicious. And I love yeah. the fact that you have something, the bitters and then something sweet because, you know, too overly sweet. I know you don't like sweet drinks. Yeah, no, I, and, I tend to not drink very sweet. Yeah, I, on occasion I do. If I'm going through the drive through daiquiri shop, <laughs> uh, I'll get a sweet daiquiri. They're very sweet. But oh, Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Melissa, thanks so much for coming into the speakeasy. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> So, um, so I know that you mentioned that you are uh, near New Orleans at this point. Is that where you're from or uh, have you moved there? Well, I moved here, but I was a mere child. Um, <laughs> oh, so you've been there for I, a long time. I've been here. Uh, next month will be 40 years. Wow. That is, that's quite a while. You're pretty familiar with the area there. <laughs> yeah. And my parents moved around a lot because my dad was in construction. So we always just went where the work was. Sure. And, yeah. And the work was here in the 80s. And um, so 
I landed here and then they moved on and I said, mm, I'm staying. <laughs> at that point, I was old enough to say so. Yeah. yeah. So, well, um, good for you. You must like the area. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I know you have your your Tucson heat. And, yes. Uh, you've, and... you've got your southern humidity. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just add a bucket of water to that Tucson heat. And Yeah. But you really do get used to it. I know people don't believe me, but. Um, I do. Yeah. I, I do. Um, you know, if people didn't get used to it, I know that, you know, people who live in high humidity areas frequently complain about it, but they hated it that much. If everybody hated it that much, people would leave. And um, it's still pretty, pretty popular, pretty popular area. I mean, you look at Houston, I think Houston is like the fourth or fifth biggest city in the country. I it mean, is. It's third or is it third or fourth? Might be third. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it mm -hmm. might have overtaken one of the one of the other ones, but um, uh, it, yeah, super humid there. So, well, I, I actually have issues if I come to a climate like yours because my nose immediately dries up. Oh yeah, and and I get nosebleeds, and um, it's and my fingers feel like weird, yeah. like. Like, no, like, people have a really hard time um, adjusting when they're from an area that's that's not uh, not dry. I mean, we get some humidity, but when when Tucsonans start complaining about humidity during monsoon, it's like forty <laughs> percent, and, and that makes people in the south and on the east coast just laugh. <laughs> yeah, with our ninety nine point nine exactly. Yeah. Right. Whereas here, I actually pulled up the weather app one time and saw that we had zero percent relative what? humidity. I had never seen that. I thought you got to be kidding me. Didn't know that was possible. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So anyway, well, well, that's cool. I'm glad that you like the area. I'll actually be uh, be in your neck of the woods in a few months, depending on COVID and COVID. a variety of other things. My mother-in-law lives in um, Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Oh, that's so, kind of right next door. Yeah, kind of. About maybe an hour. Yeah, yeah. So but yeah. The one time I was in New Orleans, we actually flew into flew into. Um, no, um, New Orleans, and then just drove and uh, and stayed out there for a week or whatever it was. So oh, nice. anyway, um, so you've been there for a while. So um, how did you get into voiceover work? Well, um, I always say that I got into um, audiobooks by doing laundry because um, <laughs> that's I'll that's one I haven't heard before. <laughs> I'll explain. <laughs> So uh, I was a um, massage therapist and then specialized in myofascial therapy for 15 years. And I okay, had a... so so yeah, so I, I jumped ahead there. So um, yeah, so that's okay. How did, no, yeah, how, how how did you get into um, myofascial therapy then? <laughs> well, it was probably career number six or so. Oh, uh, you've done quite a few and... things then. <laughs> a few here and there. Um, I had a I had worked as an office manager in an orthopedic surgeon's office. For many years and um i was really fascinated by the uh skeletal muscular muscular musculoskeletal okay mm -hmm. yeah um uh system and um and i learned so much there i got real familiar with um with terminology and involving the body mm -hmm. and um that kind of sparked my interest and then i had a bunch of children and homeschooled them and when they got a little older, I started thinking, hmm, what do I want to do next? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I just um, was real interested in, in the field. And so I attended massage school and got state licensed and nationally certified and um, then went on to 
continuing education out the ears um, and started specializing in myofascial therapy, which is, if people don't know what that is, it's, uh, most people have heard of deep tissue massage and mm-hmm. it's, um, it's like that, but more. Um, oh. If, if you've heard of rolfing. Oh yeah. Okay. It's that. It's, okay. it, it's based on the work of Ida Rolf. And, um, and I had, I was booked out three months in advance. Um, I had, you know, people lined up waiting for this treatment because it was wow super life-changing and it was amazing. And I was doing really well, but at the same time, I wasn't getting any younger and 15 years into it is quite a feat because most massage therapists burn out around four and a half years. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just say that I am a big fan of massage therapy in general. Um, I know yeah. that what you're talking about is something specific, but I am, I am a huge believer in, um, just getting a massage, not just because it can help the muscles because, but because for me anyway, it helps the mind. Um, I, I, I view it as my therapy time. I am going and it allows me to be quiet and relax. Um, I'm now friends with my regular massage therapist and we, we kind of chat the whole time, but <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely not opposed to a 60 or a 90 minute massage at a, at a spa. And if we're on vacation someplace where I'm, I don't have a conversation. I just say, you're, you know, I'm paying for this great service and, uh, it's really beneficial to me. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of massage in general. Well, I'm really glad to hear that, Rich, because not everyone discovers that. And what you said about it being more for your mind is absolutely the truth. And it's it's actually scientifically proven why it's good for you, why it makes you feel better, not just relaxed, not just muscular relaxation, like you could take a hot bath and it would do the same thing. It Mm -hmm. doesn't. Um, There are a whole lot of neurochemicals and hormones that um, are produced in your body and, and increased when you're getting a a massage. And, Uh. and it also suppresses neurochemicals and hormones that cause you to feel anxious. Um, So it's, it kind of opens up your inner pharmacy and, and helps balance things out. So I say we are uh, kind of just a mechanical bag of chemicals. Mm-hmm. Basically, chemicals control so much of our existence, and and our body makes these chemicals. And you've discovered the secret, <laughs> <laughs> accidentally, of, <laughs> yeah, of um, you know, bringing forth those chemicals uh, and hormones that that actually make you feel the oxytocin Mm, um, and um oh now i have to think of all my chemicals but um (laughs) but it does it's it absolutely does make a a change in you at the molecular level i'm i'm not surprised like i said big fan so um yeah so so you were in one place and you started learning about the human body and you went to therapy school and you started doing that and then at some point you were folding up your therapist's garb and doing laundry and you decided I'm going to narrate an audiobook. How, how, how did that transition happen? <laughs> it 
does sound kind of bizarre, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it's because I listen to audiobooks in my time between cl my clients. Mm. So, um, you know, I would, I had people scheduled, you know, all day long. And in between, I would be changing sheets and wiping things down and throwing things in the washing machine. And I would put on my earbuds and listen to audiobooks during that time. Got it. And all this time, my whole life as well, I've been an actor and I started in kindergarten. Wow. <laughs> Acting, I literally took my friends in the out at recess and put together plays, and directed them and starred in them. Of course, <laughs> and and um, a lot of directors that act, that act like that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then we would come back into the classroom, and the kindergarten teacher would let us put on our little production. And um, pretty soon, before I knew it, I was in first grade on stage in front of all the sixth graders, <laughs> and and I and the bug bit me. So uh, I've, I've done theater my whole life. So while I'm listening to audiobooks, doing laundry, at one point I realized I was just really listening for, you know, enjoyment and entertainment. And um, but at one point I realized I was listening to a fabulous performance that I didn't even realize was a performance. Mm, yeah. And and I realized that the narrators that I loved were the ones that kind of made me forget that they existed. I love that. I, I love that about all kinds of acting. I used to say that about um, sound design and lighting design in theater. Nobody ever yes. comments on it when it's good. And that's yes. because it, it becomes so integral. And, and you have to know that that's behind the scenes to really appreciate it. And then once you do, you can really appreciate it. But if you just forget that it's there... Um, and you have a good experience, that's that's kind of a, a, a good comment. That is so amazingly true about theater with lighting with lighting and sound, because mm. that is truly a behind the scenes um, you know, aspect of of the production. Yeah. And, and if you and if you hate it, it'll negatively color your perspective of the show. Of the whole show, right? Yeah. Right. So. And you might not even recognize that consciously. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. so it is so important. Well, that's and, cool. Um, so, so you were listening to audiobooks, and you you realized that it was a performance, and so that spoke to your your inner actor. That's right, right. That's and I started to think, hmm, maybe I could do this. And I started researching how to do it. That actually reminds me of a joke. Uh oh. <laughs> how many actors does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> I've probably heard this, but I don't remember. Well, it takes five, one to change the light bulb and four to say, I could do that so much better. <laughs> That's great. Um, anyway, so so when, when was this? How long ago was this? Um, this was in 2017. So not very long ago, although getting longer and longer ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah and um, I still feel super duper new um, because I spent the whole year of 2018 um with coaching and mm. um i um i took a course with a coach who taught all kinds of voiceover mm -hmm. not just audiobooks because i was interested and i thought well maybe although you know the draw was audiobooks i thought well it wouldn't hurt to learn about these other forms of, of vo mm -hmm. and 
Um, so I went through that whole thing and then came out the other end going, yeah, I just want to do audiobooks. <laughs> See, I, I think that's a great decision to go ahead and explore it. And one way or another, you're going to get good information. It's either going to be, oh my gosh, I don't have to specialize in something. I could do all these things. That would be so cool. Or, <laughs> oh my gosh, how can people do that short form crap and, and just want to do audiobooks? And so I... I think that's a that's a great move is to explore whether or not you want to focus in one genre or do a bunch of things. Right. And it and it helps to have learned that even though, you know, I wasn't, you know, too in depth with the other forms of VO, but I have had occasion you know where someone did need just some voiceover work and I I was able to you know kind of know what I was doing. <laughs> sure, because at that point you've got the equipment set up and even exactly. if it's not your specialty, you can step in. Yeah. Yeah. And this coach was really good at um um encouraging new people, especially if you felt very, you know, disinclined in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Um and um and also like some really great stuff that I learned from that first coach that I that I still do. And um and you know other things that I've changed. But mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was good to do that. And that the whole time I was doing that, I was still seeing my massage clients. Through, oh, through, I see. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm, right. Are, so, are you still now or, or is it pretty, no, so just full-time audiobooks? Uh, yeah. Right. Because, uh, that was 2018. So then in 2019, well, in 2018, I was taking the course and then seeing, uh, you know, I still had my practice and then in 2000. 19 I was starting to cut back because my my trajectory was the idea was that narrating audiobooks would be my relaxing retirement job mm. ha ha yeah. ha well I, I I assume that you actually <laughs> decided to completely give up the massage around yeah, March of 2020 that's precisely when I, <laughs> you are so insightful and you're such a good listener, Rich. Yeah, yes. it's just uh, so many things crashed right then. And personal uh, services where you are right up with somebody took a big dive right about that. You know, and I could I could just avoid that whole thing altogether because I had been winding down during 2019 mm -hmm. and I had referred people out. And, you know, just said, hey, I'm heading toward retirement of massage therapy. And, um, you know, but I know this really good massage therapist here. Go see her. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had I had whittled it down to, um, you know, a more manageable amount of work because it was a lot. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah, and no um, yeah. So then when the pandemic came, of course, those last uh remaining people i you know could just let them go and just focus on audiobooks well that's cool so do you have a, a specialty in audiobooks or a, a niche or something that you prefer over something else mm, well i definitely have a preference i um but i do you know I'm, I'm i'm still pretty new and i'm pretty picky about what i choose to do for projects mm -hmm. um and i've done quite a few different genres but my favorite 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 thing to do are like crime thrillers mm. or um um paranormal um crime fiction non and non-fiction medical 
um, medical thrillers, that kind of, that kind of book is really, when I got into it, what I used to like to listen to was historical fiction, Mm -hmm. um, and, and some nonfiction, you know, like that was what I listened to, but as far as narrating it, I haven't really done a lot of that. Um, Mm. but I just love the, the thrillers. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds great. I had completely forgotten until I looked your stuff up on Audible that we both did books in a series with different authors. Yes. Um, the the crime, um, what was it called? Crime Solvers uh, or something? Um, yeah, that was the uh, techno- high, high tech. Yeah, high tech crime high, solvers. Yes. Virtually Harmless and I did Vir- Virtually Timeless. That that was such a cool concept. I was. I, I am a little surprised that I haven't seen more of that. I think it was a great idea. And apparently the uh, the author who... Um, like con- puts it together? Yeah, who put it together and uh, wrote at least one of the books, I think. Um, I, I just, I thought it was brilliant, but I uh, haven't seen too much more of that. But but uh, I thought that was funny when, that I'd completely forgotten that we had both worked on that series. Yeah, because I think I... I... I told you, oh, I know what it was. I think I invited you to, they were having some kind of um, like event. Oh yeah, the Facebook those, thing, yeah. Yeah, like a yeah. Facebook live event. And I know that the ones that were still available were mostly from a male perspective. Mm. And so I think I was telling you, hey, you should check this out. Check it out, yeah. Um, and, no, it, was, it was great. And I think that uh, quite a few of those books got got good reviews, so... Yay, yay. So anyway, that's that's cool. So uh, thrillers, crime, and uh, medical, medical stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've done a nonfiction uh, medical book called Body on Fire. And oh um, yeah, and I'm telling you, there were some incredibly gigantically long chemical words. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, the dark and, side of audiobook narration. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I enjoyed it because I knew a great many of them and then some of them i was just i did i did my own research and um you know some of them i was on the money and some i wasn't sure so you know i just yeah. made sure but um that was a fascinating book about inflammation well that's cool so you said you're pretty picky about what you take on i think that that in general is a good practice uh, and i know that a lot of people myself included to a certain extent, when you're first starting out, it's like, oh, I'll do anything because I just want to do something. And that's not always the best idea. Um, so is there anything that you still won't take on? Mm, not really. I I don't, I don't audition for erotica. Um, and in fact, romance is not really my thing. Um, you know, I don't mind uh, I've, I've done some romance, but, um, yeah, uh, that's, that's not my area there, I guess. Yeah. So maybe you're not I really, don't, not maybe really I don't it. have a sexy voice for romance. I, don't know. I, never get, <laughs> I haven't gotten well, hired if, for too many of those. You know, the, the less interested you are in a subject, the more difficult it is to really bring the, the thing to life. A lot of people can do great at that, um, but it 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 does make it more difficult. Um, you just have to work harder to get the same amount of passion and excitement in in what you're doing. So it's always good to know your strengths. This is sounding so personal because, like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not into romance. I really don't care about romance. No, <laughs> um, but you're right. You're right. And yeah, my heart's not in it. Uh, uh, some of the first books I did were. Well, they weren't romance exactly. Mm-hmm. 
they were quite a combination of Jane Austen fan fiction with romance and hurricanes. Mm, And, um, (laughs) um, and they, yeah, they had some scenes in them that, um, you know, more power to people that are totally okay and comfortable with doing that, you know, those kind of sex scenes or whatever, but I guess, I don't know. I can't say it's not me because then I sound like, um, there's something wrong with me. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. I think it's, I think it's totally reasonable to, um, whatever it happens to be. Uh, my line of what I won't do is very different from a lot of other people. And, um, I think that's fine. I think that knowing where your lines are and what you're interested in is perfectly fine. So uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I know that there are a lot of people who, they they look down on romance, which um, oh, I, no. I never looked down on it, but I always thought, well, yeah, I don't want to do that, whatever. And then I <laughs> learned, um, A, that it's a huge genre and there are some fantastic authors in the genre. Yeah. And, and B, there, there are also some fantastic stories. And so yes. um, so I, I learned a lot about the romance genre in particular, and it's possible to learn things about, you know, various other genres that you didn't think, well, I'd never do a nonfiction. I mean, how boring. I only like the, the <laughs> fiction stories. And then you do a nonfiction book and go, wow, I learned a lot here. And this was really interesting. And I really had to work at it, you know, bringing it to life and it worked. And so I, I think that no matter what the genre, um, it's always good to explore things. Well, that's so true. And I, like I said, I'm still pretty new and I haven't done, you know, all that many books. And so I am still learning. And I recently learned that I really, really, really uh, enjoyed um, a YA urban fantasy. I had Mm. never done that genre before. And I thought, oh, urban fantasy, uh, shifting and all that. I, Mm -hmm. I, I, I thought, I don't know, but the story was so good. And like you said, that the author is great. She has a great following and, um, and it's all, it's like believable when you're in it and you're, um, you know, you're, you're, you're living in the book and, and the characters, you know, like Paul yeah. Rubens, like Paul Rubin says, they don't know their characters. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, I have loved it. It's been, in fact, I'm working on a series. That's great. Uh, so, yeah. And I didn't really you know, it's it's not like I made a judgment before, like I wouldn't do this. It just didn't appeal to me just because I didn't know. Sure. Like you said. Yeah. So like, you know, dabbling in, in areas like that, you, you really can be enlightened and open your eyes and see, yeah. oh, well, and I may feel that way eventually about more romance. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. All, all you can do is, is try it out and see what you think. So that's cool. Well, so after all of that experience, 15 years, yeah, I, I know that 15 years is a long time in massage of any kind. I was talking to my, my therapist at one point who's been doing it for, I think at least that long. Mm -hmm. And she said, yeah, most people burn out and a lot of it is physical burnout. It's like you you ruin your hands. And, and, uh, once, once you do that, what do you do? I have seen an Ashiatsu massage therapist and the whole reason she, she went into that form was because her hands were done. Her hands and her arms were kind of done. Yeah. And, yeah. And so. Is that um, the one where, wait, you said Ashiatsu, is it where they stand on you with a yeah, bar? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yes. so you got the frame around the Yeah. The I thought about table. that myself. Yeah. No. And, yeah. and she said that was the whole reason I, I couldn't use my hands that way anymore. I was starting to have problems. 
And so I know that 15 years is a long time. So, so you learned a lot by, by doing that. And that has enabled you to help narrators who sit for extended periods of time in a very specific position so that their mouth is just about the same distance from the microphone the entire time. Um, and uh, so how has that informed your personal narrating experience? And uh, what do you what do you share with people? Yeah, um, well, I kind of hated to waste all the stuff that I had learned <laughs> and, <laughs> and just let it, you know, because I when I was doing the, the myofascial work, I coached people on their ergonomics, on their position, on their posture, posture, posture all the time. We worked on it, you know, hands on as well as developing new habits. Mm-hmm. So I, I did miss that part, you know, like just really helping people to kind of find themselves, find their so give me center. An, give, and... give, give me an example. Not, not some, somebody comes to you who's not a narrator, who's just some, you know, random person off the street and, and you're working on them. And what is it that you share with them? Um, just one example of something that you might uh, focus on. Um, okay. I'll give you a real example. I had a, a guy who his neck hurt him all the time and he had no idea why. Was um, his name Rich Miller? Because I, I, <laughs> I need to talk to you about that. <laughs> but go on. Go on. Um, and I we went through a lot of um, you know, what he does in the day. And um, you know, it could be things from the way you're sleeping, the way you're sitting watching TV. Well, it turned out that the way he was working, um, he he wasn't facing his computer. Oh, I've, I've done that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That, that was not good after a while. I was like, why is this? Yeah. I hear that one. Right. Cause you're sitting there all day with your head turned. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, and then it just took a minor adjustment of his position and he was, he felt great. That's great. Right. And then the, um, the actual hands-on work sort of helps that along, you know, you could, do the hands-on work and still keep up these habits and not, not progress as quickly, but, um, you know, with the hands-on work and actually moving and opening the fascia, the fascial layers, um, in all the places that have gotten tightened up and stiff, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that makes a big difference. So, but going back to, you know, how I ended up helping people in the narrator community. Um, like I said, it was sort of a selfish reason because I I really value just continuing to learn things that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. And and um, so I I didn't want to give I wanted to give up the physical part of massage therapy. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> and and but, <laughs> but still be able to help people. Right, right. Yeah. So what happened was, you know, during the pandemic and we started doing all the Zoom meetings. And I would see everybody's little video square and I'd see a lot of people like slumped over, slouching over to one side, um, you know, like just different positions or like with their chin, trying to reach the mic, kind of by stretching their chin, their head forward. I just noticed some because that's what I did. I would Mm -hmm. I did postural analysis on my clients the first time they would come and I would just really have them stand there and I would look at them <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and um, on a grid and figure out where all their um, postural distortions were. 
And so I was used to just looking at people. I really wasn't being weird or trying to like pick on people <laughs> or, or nag people and tell them what to do. No, that's but, why they're there though. But, and then I heard a lot of complaining about how people felt on social media, you know, Facebook, um, you know, how their neck was sore or whatever. And I thought, well, there's kind of a little need here maybe um, that I could fill. And so I started by posting social media posts, which I later named Booth Health Tuesday because I picked Tuesday to do it. Nice. And um, give it something that's a, kind of a regular thing that people can look for. Right. So it's hashtag Booth Health, all one word. And um, and I didn't hashtag the Tuesday part in case I ever wanted to change the date. <laughs> Leave your options open. <laughs> that's right. So. Um, I mean, if you go to Instagram or Facebook and just put in hashtag booth health, um, you can see all these little posts I made. And what I what I did not want to do was to give everyone a half hour routine to do before they narrated. Mm. Because, you know, we, everybody has their warm ups or, you know, things that they do or if they don't, they don't want to do that or they don't. You know, I just I didn't want to add on like here's a, here's a 15 minute stretch thing you should do. Mm -hmm. So I decided to make it more like little hacks. And so they're very short and it's just enough information to post on, I do it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And basically it's just like, here's this little thing you can do while you're walking into your booth mm. or, you know, they're, they're real short and sweet. Sometimes they're just informational. Um, there was one about where to place your hands when you're driving and why that makes a difference in your posture. Oh, interesting. And so, um, yeah, so I've been doing that for over a year, posting those um, booth health posts. And I, I really enjoy it because it gets me thinking, too. And sometimes it makes me do a little more research about things, you know, just to brush up a little bit. So. It's kind of selfish in a way, <laughs> but it's also, I think my main reason is just to like contribute something back to the narrator community because I learned so much from the narrator community as a new person. Yeah, um, I think that's, I, I don't really think of that as selfish. You know, it's <laughs> kind of like me with this podcast. I knew that there may be some benefit to it for me getting to know more people, but I also just wanted to, you know, give back and introduce other people to people. Um, yeah. so I, I, you know, there, there may be some element of you getting something out of it, but I don't think that means it was selfish to do it. Um, right, I think right. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who have benefited. Um, it's funny you say that about driving. I had never really thought about that. And at some point, several years ago, I was going someplace and I, for, for some reason, it may have been one of those times when I was having an acute neck issue that didn't, that typically didn't last very long, not like the current one. And all of a sudden, I realized that as I was driving, every time I stopped, I had one hand on top of the wheel, the other hand not on top of the wheel, and my net, my my head was forward. And I thought, you know what, this, I'll bet. And then all of a sudden, I would say, well, wait a minute. So I would find myself in that position. I would consciously drop my hand and move my neck back. And it was like, oh, my God, I'll bet this is really bad. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Well, you're talking about you being a prime example of the head forward posture, yep. which is 
detrimental in so many ways. And I mean, you immediately think of your neck, but it affects a lot more all the way down the kinetic chain um, mm. of your body. And as well as your, your vision, your, your, um, hmm. yeah. So, um, and I could explain that further if you really wanted to hear, but you probably don't right now. But, no, um, it, it, I'm but not really looking for detail. I'm just looking right. for, you know, kind of the, the broad stroke. So that, that's yeah. one. So give there me, you give go. me another one. Give me another one of something where a lot of people do X and mm -hmm. X is bad for these two or three reasons. Well, that's okay. If we want broad strokes, I'm just going to say slouching because okay. That so, is so define that for me. What 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 do you uh, how do how do you see slouching? What is somebody doing when they're slouching? Okay, in slouching, your head is forward, your shoulders are rolled toward the front okay. and inward. Um, your your lower back is sort of flattened because you're you're not maintaining the natural curve of your spine. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what it looks like physically. Are you getting that? I am. Yeah. But, so when you say the natural curve of the spine, that's a little bit forward towards the bottom and then a little bit farther back up above. Is that mm -hmm, you know, roughly right. it's accurate? Like an, yeah. It's like an S curve. Yeah. Okay. And then up by your neck, your cervical spine is that goes toward the front of your body as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah. then back out at your thorax and then back in at your lumbar area and then back out a little bit at your sacrum. Okay. Right so what's wrong with slouching? It's comfortable. So what? No, isn't it though? <laughs> <laughs> it's comfortable when you're six years old. But, when you... <laughs> but um, so slouching, slumping, uh, poor posture is, like I said, just detrimental. And I'll just give you a couple of reasons why. Yeah. So when you slouch or slump forward, let's see, where can I start? There's so many. <laughs> um, let's, let's start with, let's start with, um, connecting this to narration because okay, yeah. we use our lungs and, uh. and the, the more efficiently we use our lungs, the better our breath control, the better our, we don't run out of breath at the end of a, a sentence. You know, we, we don't have to take big gulping breaths because we're getting air all the way down to the, to the very bottom of our lungs and we're expanding our rib cage, um, like a barrel, like wide. But when you, when you're slouched forward, you're basically cutting that off mm. and you are not only compressing your lungs, but all of your internal organs are not able to work at capacity when you're slouched forward. And thought about that, that the lungs are just one set of organs. There's all kinds of other stuff in there that right. could, could be having a negative impact. Exactly. Uh. So, um, so that's one. Um, another one is just um, overstretching the back muscles, the upper back muscles. When your shoulders are rolled forward, your upper back muscles are, are spreading out mm -hmm. and um, they become overstretched. And the ones in the front, your pectoral muscles, your chest muscles, oh. they, they are now tightening right. because everything's in balance with the beautiful human body. So, or it tries to stay in balance <laughs> regardless of how we treat it. Mm -hmm. um, but so then you develop something called upper cross syndrome, which is basically that, that your, your posture then becomes imbalanced and it, it throws off your whole um, 
posture from all the, all the way down to, to your feet. So something's going to give. In other words, if you took, if you took a stack of kids' blocks and you stack them all up on each other and they were standing tall, they would be strong and upright. If you took some and pulled them out, well, something underneath that is going to have to be pulled out as well in the opposite mm, direction right. or else it's going to fall. Right. It's kind of like a real basic way without make up having, for it. Yeah. Without having visuals to show you, but, but um, right. So Com- compensate for the difference. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So upper cross syndrome is a combination of all those things, um, which cause, you know, ultimately pain and agony <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it can cause pain all the way down, you know, in, into your hips. It affects your hips. It affects you. We really are connected. Part of my continuing education as a um, myofascial therapist was I've performed human dissections. Mm. And, um, ooh, it was so fun. I Hopefully was not in... on your own patients. <laughs> Some of them were a little scared when I came back from that. They're like, what are you going to do to me? Um, but it was, uh, I spent two separate weeks in the cadaver lab, um, just eight hours a day dissecting cadavers. And yeah, it was really kind of a profound, uh, inner, inner space discovery. And it was awesome. And so I always said, you know, how I've been seeing my, my clients with my fingers now, or, you know, now I can like see beyond that Mm. because I, I never looked at a, a human body the same way again like i'm I, i'm not surprised uh yeah. i i don't know that i could do that i i'm fascinated by it but i'm i'm not sure that i could do that um so that's that's cool to to be able to learn more about what you have been doing in a completely different way yes yeah right <laughs> so yeah going so going back to poor posture um i mean it can affect it can affect your voice because it can affect um all of the, the small muscles in your neck. Um, and it can affect your voice through air, not being able to pass through, you know, through your airways Mm -hmm. because there's, they're being compressed and squished. Right. Um, and it can cause eye problems because when your head is forward, those little tiny muscles in the back of your head that connect your skull to your spine are just squished. They, they're they're so um impinged um and they are really really connected to your to your eyes Hmm, that's interesting um, yeah so uh you know if your body is upright and in good posture everything is going to function at a better level yeah makes sense Mm -hmm. um yeah well that's that's fascinating um so you don't do the massage anymore. Um, how, aside from the hashtag booth health on social media, do you work with people um, at all one-on-one? I do have uh, that that capability and it's on my website. Um, and to tell you the truth, I, I haven't really pushed it, but I can help people, um, you know, do like a, a Zoom call. And if they have if they have, if they want help with their positioning, that's mainly what I could help them with. So yeah, that I do have that um, capability. That's cool. 
Um, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like two of the main things that you could say to ev- to anybody are don't have your head too far forward. Right. Don't slouch. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. And a, a couple other things I would oh, and say. I, and I guess for, from what you were saying earlier about a, a specific client that you had, don't have your monitor off to the side. That's right. Right, right. <laughs> There's so many of these don'ts. Um, one thing I would say is important is to warm up your entire body before you narrate. Now, I said I give these little hacks on booth health because I don't want to give people, oh, here's your assignment. It's going to mm-hmm. take an hour a day. Yeah. But if movement is so important and I don't care what kind you do, you must keep moving in order to keep your fascia, which is your connective tissue, which we didn't really talk about, but it's. Yeah, I meant to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if I, if I understand correctly, it goes pretty much from the top of your body to the bottom, kind of all connected. And everywhere in between. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, we talked about that, uh, about being connected and that mm-hmm. is definitely, um, yeah, the, the fascial tissue is a very fascinating tissue that wasn't really discovered early on and really only in the past maybe 30 years have they been studying it Mm. because they actually didn't really know it was there. They thought it was just like padding or something like that. But when they used to do dissections, not way, way, way back, but you know, when medical dissections, they would dissect embalmed bodies. And sometimes in embalmed bodies, it's, it's not as apparent it's not as visible. So it, it has been discovered. There's a, there's a, like a research council Congress um, for fascia um, because they're discovering more and more and more what it does and what it's for. And it has all these different purposes depending on where it is and what type it is, because it can be, it can have such a tensile strength. It feels like, and I've felt it, it feels like a like a, a ribbon of of iron like it can be very very wow. strong and then at the same time in another place it can be like you can just make it disappear with your finger it's hmm. it's the coolest tissue it's very hydrated it's 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 like a matrix of collagen and elastin and it's a very gel like it's in a gel-like matrix substance. It's it's amazing. And that is definitely all through your body. And as you sleep overnight, all of the places where your fascia is supposed to move smoothly against another layer of fascia, like say between two muscles, you're supposed to have gliding ability there between all those muscles to keep you, you know, keep you having good range of motion. And but as you sleep there it builds up it like lays down little fibers that's why hmm. stre- stretching in the morning is really good to do because that breaks up those fibers but hmm. but say you have um an injury or you become very sedentary and you're not doing any movement or stretching those fibers that get laid down during the night are going to keep building up and as they do they become more and more sticky and more dehydrated and they become less able to separate. Ah, so then that makes you less flexible. Exactly. That makes you stiff. Yeah. There's a guy named Gil Headley. um, And if you Google Gil Headley, the fuzz speech, 
Um, <laughs> it's exactly what oh, it boy. is. Okay. It's he calls it the fuzz, the 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 fibers that get laid down during sleep. He calls that the fuzz, and he shows you have to kind of have a good stomach if you don't like cadavers because he he shows it on cadavers and it's hmm. pretty cool. But um, so what I was saying about warming up movement is so important to be able to keep moving and you don't i'm i'm a crossfitter i do all kinds of crazy weightlifting and box jumping and rope climbing and um <laughs> <laughs> like five days a week and um but you don't have to do that you can you know at least walk and stretch bend over um anything any kind of movement that you like that you would stick to doing dancing yeah, that sounds sounds like a lot of advice I've heard from a lot of different people. Is yeah. <laughs> something that you can continue, something that it's not a chore that you actually want to do. You're going to stop if you don't like it. Right, I mean, right. You know, so, so find something you like and do it. Do it's it. really interesting to, to hear that because, um, you know, here in Tucson, it gets roasting hot in the summer. And so I'm a cyclist. And so I'll go out for a ride at eight in the morning and then seven in the morning. And then once we get into August, it's about six 30 or it's <laughs> too late. And once we get into late August, it's like, you know, if I don't get out before six o'clock, it's too late. So I will go early in the winter. I'm a weather weenie when it comes to exercise. And so in the winter, uh, I walk cause I don't want to ride. Um, yeah, that wind on you is cold when it you're, is, when and you're I just, riding. I, I don't like wearing a lot of clothes when I ride, and I just, everybody says, oh, you can get, you know, the longer pants, and you can get a wool, whatever, and I'm like, no, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> so, um, so I've been walking lately, and I typically walk late in the afternoon, later in the afternoon, because it is still cold in the morning, but from everything you just said, I'm actually thinking, you know, um, I could, I could actually see doing the walk in the morning too, just to get moving before I actually do any work. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, anything that you could add is, is just great. And taking breaks from the, you don't have to go for what your walk then, but you know, taking a break from, from sitting or standing in one position and, um, moving moving around a little um i can't say it enough how important it is to move and yeah you know i don't know if it was i don't know if i heard that from you or from somebody else and i thought i need to be more conscious of that and so now i do get up in the middle of you know what however long the session is and i will walk we have a this big sprawling house from one end to the other and i'll just walk around the house and Yep. Um, I figured just moving for, you know, five minutes, that's going to help for the next half hour, 45 minutes of the session. It does. It doesn't seem like much, but it is absolutely um, helpful and better than than just staying stuck in your same position. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, keep doing that, Rich. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, maybe that'll have have some effect on my neck. So, <laughs> anyway, that that all sounds great. I I really appreciate you sharing all of these things. I'm I'm glad to know that you actually will you know meet with people who may have a mm -hmm. specific need. Um, where can they find that? Which uh, what's your website? You said it was on your website. What's your website? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's mkbenson.com, and it's letter M, letter K. And then last name Benson. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's great. I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Um, I mean, it sounds like that's not something that you're you're focusing on, but it is just something that you can do. And and it certainly sounds like it's something that you like to share with people. Absolutely. Yeah. They get me and we might we might end up talking like for an hour. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's cool. 
no, but you know, I, it would be great to be able to help more people in that way. And that's what I did, you know, all those years that I did it. So, so yeah. Um, no, that's great. That's great. So, so you are busy narrating at this point, since that is the full-time thing. What do you do when you're not narrating? Well, I mentioned CrossFit. Oh yeah. So um, it, it does sound like that's probably something that takes up quite a bit of time. <laughs> well, it's not supposed to, but it does. <laughs> um, <laughs> I usually uh, go to the gym in the morning. I don't say usually, I, I shouldn't say usually I do go to the gym from eight to nine every morning, but um, that's kind of my social place too because you know when you do hard things with other people you get a connection it's like being in the military or something you know like <laughs> like, <laughs> like right yeah. and I'll tell you what the CrossFit community is so much like the narrator community in the fact that they are very supportive and I think that's what you know I kind of fell into both of those um both of those areas and I think that's why I stick with it for so long because um, it's it's a great bunch of people. And like for instance, if you're, you know, part of the workout that day is um, running and you're the last one, you get the most cheers because everybody says, "Go, Melissa, come on!" You know, that's <laughs> so great. everybody's very supportive. And you know, when you hit a new uh, personal record, a PR on one of your one of your weight lifts, you know, everyone's screaming for you. And, um, it's just a really, it's a good community. And no, it's fantastic. I thought you were going to say there for a minute, it was a lot like the, uh, narrator community because they read a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> Not that, no, but still a good community. No, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I don't, a, a lot of our CrossFitters, um, across, well, CrossFit, you know, across the world is pretty universal. And so I could go I could be out of town. I could come visit you in Tucson and find a CrossFit gym. And um, oh yeah, I I know of several. Yeah, and I would go in there, and it would be so similar to my own home box. They're called a box. That you know they would welcome me. I'd work out with them. I would know what to do. It's like it's great. So it's it's that's kind of how Planet Fitness is too. I believe. That's cool. <laughs> but but um, it's kind of consistent um, yeah. throughout the whole community. So oh, that sounds great. great. Sounds great. All yeah, right. So, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say people have a, kind of a bad image of it that it's like dangerous or something, but it's not. Well, I, I assume that like any sporting activity, uh, I mean, anything can be dangerous. Uh, and so I assume that people can think that this is dangerous because they've seen somebody who did it wrong. Um, but uh, right. I mean, I'll, I'll take your word for it that it's not inherently dangerous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. So, so leave us with a couple of words. I'm pretty sure what they're going to be of, uh, booth health <laughs> wisdom for aspiring narrators out there. I would say the way that your physical body is so important to narrating is that you cannot really connect with a story, the vision, the author's intent or the characters, unless you're open to do so. And I don't mean just open in your brain. But when your whole body is open, you're kind of opening your your center. the 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 Japanese term for the like the energy center is the hara, and I'm not real into energy work and chakras and everything. But I do believe that being upright with good posture and your shoulders 
down and comfortable, you know, not all squished up by your ears or, or forward, that that helps you to be open in a lot of ways besides just in your mind. And I think, you know, because we're opening ourselves to these stories, I think it's good to be open physically. Well, that's great. That is that is not what I expected, although there was a little bit of uh, you included a little bit there. I thought it was just going to be don't slouch. But um, yeah, that's <laughs> that, but, but that, in that other was, words. But yeah, but that was um, that's a much more, um, you know, descriptive way of of why that is wisdom. So uh, so I think that's a that's a great point. Yeah, there's a poem. Um, I Well, I sent it to you um, by John Rodell. And um, if you just search John Rodell, it's R-O-E-D-E-L, there's a poem about, the first line is, my brain and my heart divorced. And it's it's beautiful and it kind of helps. People say, oh, just breathe, remember to breathe. Well, I don't think that's enough to say just breathe. And this poem sort of strikes me as a more beautiful descriptive way of saying you need to breathe. That's cool. All right. Well, uh, Melissa, thank you so much for coming in. I'm, I'm so glad. And it was, uh, mkbenson.com. You on, uh, other social media as well? Um, yep. On Facebook and Instagram. Oh, of course you are because of hashtag booth health. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, if you just put hashtag booth health, you'll, you'll probably find me. Cool. Yeah. Good to know. All right. Well, I hope the uh, Sazerac was good. I, you, you've inspired me. I'm going to make one with uh, cognac sometime soon. Oh, good. I can't wait to hear about it. It was it, absolutely delicious. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I will give a big thumbs up for the uh, for the Tootsie Roll. Mm-hmm. Nice one. Yeah. Uh, chocolate Very bitters nice. and uh, and PX. You got to get some PX if you've never had it. Um, it, it's easier for me because I'm a big fan of port and I don't drink that much cause it's sweet, but, um, but I find PX to be as good or better than just about any port I've ever had. So Ooh, <laughs> well, stuff. I wrote yeah. that down because I have never had that. And um... Pedro Jimenez usually just referred to as PX and cause ah. it's, uh, the Jimenez is, uh, uh, it starts with an X. So, um, oh, it should be easy enough to find. Interesting. But, um, yeah, good stuff. So cool. <laughs> excuse me. All right. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I learned something. I hope other people can feel more comfortable in the booth. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rich. It was really fun. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Melissa K. Benson for coming in. I really enjoyed hearing about how to deal with the challenges of having a rather stationary career, and I hope you did too. As always, you can find the audiobook Speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all the usual apps. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. 
Any financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!